Welcome back, everyone. This is part two of our episode. Um, in this episode, we'll be talking about the administration, both of the United States and of the University of Michigan, and also addressing the Muslim community in our solidarity. My name's Umayma Abbasi. I'm a junior pursuing community and global public health. Pronouns are she, hers, her. Um, and thank you for having me here today in this space to share. Here's the part of our solidarity statement that addresses the university administration. As stated earlier, students of color have a deeply held fear of being the targets of violence to our respective racial, cultural, and religious identities. The vast majority of domestic terror attacks are carried out by white men, and many of those are carried out in the name of far right-wing ideology against racial minorities. The university is actively complicit in the spread of these racist ideas on campus. By hosting speakers such as Ben Shapiro and Charles Murray, who espouse openly racist views under a thin guise of science and factualism and paying for their security, the university is effectively condoning their views. The university claims that these events are in the name of free speech, but the hateful rhetoric espoused and is absorbed by our students causes actual physical and psychological danger to the students they target. Michigan has the second highest rates of hate crimes out of all universities surveyed in 2017, and the number of reported hate crimes has been steadily on the rise. This, coupled with the already raised tensions from the tragic shootings in New Zealand, in which 50 Muslim worshipers were murdered by a white supremacist who praised Donald Trump in a manifesto, contributes to an atmosphere of fear on campus among all students of color, but Muslim students especially. For the university to express concern for the trauma all students experienced yesterday without explicitly expressing support for the Muslim community is to be ignorant at best or malicious at worst to the well-being of its Muslim students. Additionally, any apology or expression of support for students of color affected by physical and emotional violence is an empty gesture while the university is still complicit in the dissemination of a white supremacist narrative on campus. The university needs to, be do, to do better by its students of color, which means acknowledging and understanding our perspective and disavowing and not giving a platform to white supremacy. Yeah, so, um, fuck white supremacy, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess you, you guys can just talk about your personal experience with white supremacy as a Muslim woman, as a person of color, um, on campus or off, but how it's very, like the evidence is there in your guys' lives. If you have any. So essentially, um, when I immigrated into the United States four years ago, I, I do consider myself super privileged because at first sight, when you look at me, I don't look like a Muslim woman. I don't wear the hijab. I wear a pendant that has Allah written on it, but it takes a lot of eyes to, you know, like see that that is what it is. Um, but one time where I did feel um, super targeted was, so in the month of Ramadan, we have the Ravis at mosques at night and we essentially go there and we pray for hours at end after we open our fast. And I was driving back from my community mosque in West Bloomfield, and it was almost time for Sahur, which is when we pray Fajr and we, we start our fast for the day. So it was like around 3 a.m. And I stopped at a 7-Eleven nearby because I wanted to pick up some snacks to eat 
for my drive home. And I was covered. I had my head covered. I was wearing the abaya and everything because I had just come back from a mosque. And I felt it would be stupid of me to take all that off just to go into a gas station. So I had it on. And I entered and there was two police officers that were standing inside the 7-Eleven also placing an order. And I have never felt more watched in my entire life. And that was solely because I had my head covered and they felt I could have been a threat to the worker who was working at that 7-Eleven. Um, and it just really made me understand how my hijabi sisters feel every single day um, in the United States. And the funny part was that as soon as I went to go pay, it was actually my uncle's 7-Eleven, um, you know, the stereotype of brown people owning gas stations. Um, and the worker actually knew me, so he greeted me very nicely. And I greeted him back. And as soon as the police officer saw that I spoke such fluent English, they turned around, I turned around and they smiled at me and I just walked out and my entire heart shattered in that moment. And this was just a year and a half ago because it's so prevalent, but so many of us in our community have the privilege of not having to go through that every single day. So I'm not saying that I directly face attacks from white supremacy every single day because I don't because of the way that I dress or the way that I look but I know so many people in my community that have to face that and be vigilant about it every single day yeah kind of similar to that um, I like the point that you made about how um, people who don't wear the hijab don't have to face it every single day and I would also like to say that I don't feel like like I'm not gonna front and say I feel targeted every single day and that I feel like you know afraid every single day, especially like coming from a community who is predominantly Arab Muslim, you know, from Dearborn. Um, here it's definitely a lot worse, but um, for the most part, I get a lot of weird stares. I get a lot of weird vibes. I don't really get anybody like, <laughs> as, like up to now, I haven't had anybody like outwardly say anything to me. They probably have behind my back, but I don't need to know about that. <laughs> but um, uh, a couple of years ago, <laughs> or maybe like one or two years ago, I was in Royal Oak and I went into a store with my friends um, we're all Muslim, but I was the only one that was like wearing a hijab. And I was just like walking around. I had picked up like you know one of those cute like jean patches, and I was just like holding it because it was so small. So I was just holding it while I was shopping. And then the worker just had like a really weird like she was like watching me intently like the whole entire time. And then she had come out and be like, "Oh, you need help finding anything?" And I'm like, "No, I'm fine." And then um, she's like, "Well, do you want me to hold on to that for you while you shop around?" And I'm like, "It's literally just like a small like patch. Like I'm sure I can manage." It was just really weird to me that she came mm -hmm. up to me out of all my friends and asked if, you know, she made me feel like I was literally being monitored um, and asked to hold, like, something that I was very capable of holding, which they normally don't do, because I've been in that store many times, and they don't ask you, you know, to hold on to your stuff while they're shopping. Um, also, like, even going within miles outside of my hometown, like, going to Ohio or anything, um, I remember one time I was on, like, a little road trip to go to a concert with my friends, and we stopped at a McDonald's in Ohio, um, and walking down like, towards the McDonald's, I literally received like the biggest death stare that I've ever gotten in my life. Like I swear, I felt like her eyes just like went into my soul. And like <laughs> she was just like staring at me like she wanted me dead. And, and like I looked at her and she wouldn't, you know how they usually like look away? Like she wouldn't look away, like she was just staring. And I'm like, okay, this is so uncomfortable. Um, and that happens a lot. I mean, on this campus, usually when, when I catch people staring, they look away as soon as I look away. <laughs> but, um, and there's always that like weird, awkward like smile. But yeah. 
Um, although I haven't experienced like outward, like towards me, I've seen it happen to my family members. I've seen people treat my mom poorly, like in the stores and talk to her like she's stupid when she's not. Um, and I think just the fear that anything could happen is enough to like, to make living harder than it should be. You know what I mean? Especially mm -hmm. seeing all of these things that happen, um, knowing that it could happen at any time. Like, I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to be on guard everywhere I go. Like, I'm just going to continue my life normally. But in the back of my mind, there's always that fear that, like, this could happen. Um, and then, and also, like, yesterday, when I called my mom when all this was happening, she was like, don't go to those event events anymore. Don't go to those protests. Don't go to those vigils. And I'm like, well, how can I just stop being an advocate for my community? How can I just stop showing up for my community? Mm -hmm. Because that's what they want. That's They want us to stop doing those things. They want us to stop mm -hmm. coming out and gathering and showing support. Um, but it is valid. Like, those places and those spaces are most at risk for attacks. Um, that's where people like will attack. And I was talking to my roommate about it yesterday because we're both from Dearborn, and um, and we were like, we're so surprised that nothing has happened to Dearborn yet. Like, knock on wood, but like, it's literally the the biggest concentration of Arabs and Muslims in any one city, like mm -hmm. outside of the Middle East. And so, and the world knows that. And so, if anybody were to target some place, like that would be it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just fearing for my community, like. Because we've gotten like bomb threats, we've got we've gotten. Are you serious? Well, there you have it. We we caught a bomb threat the other day, um, and there was one like a couple years ago when we were in high school and we like had to evacuate high school, and there's people online like after the attack yesterday saying nuke Dearborn, um, and people from our own community saying things like that. Like people like white people who live in Dearborn were like, yeah, I live here and I hate them, and like what? Like, Jeez. yeah, that's just crazy to me. I guess I have the privilege of being white passing, and I hate saying that because I guess it means if you are visibly Muslim, you're automatically a target. But um, I guess experiences with my mom who does wear a hijab, anytime we leave Dearborn, if we're just grocery shopping, um, she gets so many stares. They're extremely rude to her as if you, you don't belong here. Like, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be shopping here. Um, and when we went... <laughs> We traveled out of state to South Carolina. Uh, you know, surprise, surprise, she gets picked at the airport for a special check. They start dusting her hands. And it's just like, you know, she has her two little kids next to her. We're just going to the beach. <laughs> um, and there she got extremely disgusting threats. Um, someone was speeding when she and my aunt were crossing the street, and they both wear the hijab. I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Are you trying to hit them? So it's, it's definitely scary, especially because we live in Dearborn, so it's, it's usually a safe haven, I'd say. Um, but even then, when we were younger, there was a pastor from Florida who came mm -hmm. threatening to burn our holy book. Um, he held a demonstration, um, and we had to be held longer in school because it wasn't safe to go outside. We Every year we had the Arabic festival, which was the best thing ever. Everyone... It's open to everyone. We just celebrate our culture, music, food. We don't have that anymore because people were, were literally traveling from different states, holding a pig's head on a on a spike, and um, assaulting people. And I, I guess us celebrating makes us violent, or that is a threat to people. So even there, we've had a lot of experiences with it, um, with Islamophobia, and it's definitely very real. And when you hear about the increase of, you know, hate crimes, it, it makes you scared. Mm -hmm. So I guess 
a question I have is like, what would you like to see the administration do and take account of, like accountability for? Um, to me, first, when, when you hear about these attacks, call it like it is. It's a terrorist attack by a white supremacist. It's not, it's not just an average shooting that you hear about, because we hear about a lot of those, but it is a terrorist attack by a white supremacist. And it was, atta- it was an attack against Muslims. And I think the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that and acknowledge what it is because there's, I think the media um, and just people in power are so quick to call other attacks um, that are against white people or, or not against people of color um, hate crimes or th- these big tragedies, I guess. And um, attacks against our communities never receive the same uh, consideration or yeah I guess the first thing that I would like to see the administration do is hold themselves accountable because as the white supremacist said in his manifesto he was deeply inspired by Trump and we can't forget that the Trump administration is proposing the Muslim ban and all of this comes together in respect to the Muslim ban and also I would just like to point out that it took 24 hours for that nation to completely ban guns. And we are out here having to face mass shootings every single day. There's literally a website called gun. um, It just shows gun statistics by the second and how many mass shootings are happening every single day in which state in America and how many people are dying. And it's mind-boggling that we have the numbers in front of us. We have the proof, but this country and its administration is still doing absolutely nothing to keep us safe from guns. It should just be hard as hell to own a gun. I don't understand why we're still having this conversation. Yeah, so I guess um, the administration, in, as in the University of Michigan administration as well. Uh, no, that no, this, like that's a really no, but that's also point. yeah, exactly. Like our country does need to take accountability for gun control, and half of these attacks wouldn't even be enabled if there wasn't access to guns. So we're just providing a vehicle of like to make everything easier. So I just want to say. Um, on Thursday when we all found out about this, like our spirits were low going into Friday, going into the weekend. I went home uh, for the weekend, but then I came here solely for the vigil. And um, I guess from the administration, what I want to see is someone make that connection between what happened in New Zealand and the Muslim students here. I feel like there's a complete disregard for how we're feeling or how that impacted us. Um, and also the fact that yesterday I was running for my life, um, sending my parents my location in case anything happened, and that tonight is Sunday, and then tomorrow I'm expected to go to class, and no one's going to say anything. Um, it shouldn't be that way, um, but unfortunately it is. Also, the fact that nobody, knew, not, not everybody on campus knew about the vigil mm-hmm. is a big problem that the administration has to own up to, like it should have been a an administrational effort with police and ground forces. How do you think 
that the university can support us who are at the visual, um, specifically um, Muslim students, because like this traumatic experience that we, um, the traumatic experience that we had is not gonna go over, not gonna be, um, we're not gonna get over it overnight. And so I know we're all really busy. I know we all have a whole bunch of projects and things to do and finals are coming up, but at the end of the day, like we just went through an extremely traumatic event. So like, what do you want from the administration, from your professors um, in, t in terms of helping you deal with and cope with what's going on? Um, so I think the community healing space that they held at the league yesterday and today was very helpful. I went last night and there were, um, there were CAFS counselors there, there were also police officers there um, to talk to us and kind of just like listen to us and provide support if we needed it. And I think that was like the, the speed at which they responded was really good um, in that scenario. And I think it helped a lot of students, myself included. Um, maybe going out to professors, um, maybe like reaching out to students and letting them know that, you know, if they need to take a couple of days off and, you know, maybe get some extensions on their papers or exams. Because I literally, like, my roommate was there yesterday with me and she was so shaken up. Like, I had never seen anybody that shaken up. And like, I w she was literally shaking when I was talking to her in the library. And then she went home that night and then her parents wanted her to come home just for the night just so she could like, you know, be with them and relax. And she was like, I can't. She's like, I have too much work. I have an exam on Tuesday. Like, she was literally worried about how she was gonna study the night that she experienced the most traumatic thing of her life. And we should not be experiencing that. We should, you know, know that it's okay if we need like a day or two to just like heal and come back to ourselves. That should be an option. Um, so I think reaching out to professors and asking for that if they don't like reach out themselves, which I think they should. Um, and just like a formal statement from the university condemning, you know, the irresponsibility of it all and also like condemning the underlying issues that mm -hmm. caused the fear in the first place, the Islamophobia, the white supremacy. Um, because at the end of the day, we were safe, we were fine. But, you know, the victims yesterday died. They lost their lives. I mean, not yesterday, but... Um, but in New Zealand, the New Zealand attack, they, they weren't as lucky as we were. And so many people every day around the world are not as lucky. Like the fear that we experienced in those couple hours, like we just got a little taste of what they were feeling in those final moments of their life. Like they, they actually watched their loved ones bleed to death and they themselves lost their lives. And this should be like a reminder, not only to increase our safety and to provide like healing time for our students, but to also honor the victims and honor the fact that people all over the world are experiencing this. And I think us experiencing it just made it like all the more real and truly like open our eyes to the reality that this is a very real phenomenon and it happens and it could happen to us. Um, I'd also like to piggyback off that and that there is a total desensitization as far as like news coverage and consumption. And I think what you said really sparked in me like despite the fact that like this tragedy happened in New Zealand, which is relatively far away from us right here in the States, like something very similar that could have happened like and could have ended up happening in similar ways as what happened in New Zealand happened right here on campus. And like that can't be ignored. Like this, these things are right in front of our faces and it's our responsibility to acknowledge them and to deal with them and to do something about them. Sorry, just one more, one more point. Um, before this all happened, um, just after the New Zealand attack and before the whole vigil, vigil incident, um, 
the video was circulating going around of the, mm-hmm. the shooter who like live streamed the incident and some people were like we're asking where's this video i want to watch it and then some a lot of people were saying no don't don't watch it don't circulate it report it if you see it and then i had some people on instagram were saying like well part of me wants to see it because i've just become so desensitized <laughs> to all of these things like mm-hmm. I, I read all these news and it doesn't like strike a chord to me anymore because it's just so common and it happens every single day and i just can't like like my brain can't accept it anymore you know what i mean and they were like what maybe if i see this happening it'll like awaken in me the fact that it's real again um and i think that's like a valid point even though like i don't think anybody should like have to witness that type of like violence and and pain to like be sensitized to it it's a reality that a lot of us face because of how common it is and how many news stories we hear every single day that just feel so far away from us because Mm -hmm. of how often they happen i mean even earlier you were saying that like after we were running in from the vigil, you ran into Hatcher and you see all these people studying and not even know that there's a shooter out there, exactly. a possible shooter. And there's just like dichotomy between these two worlds, like the people running and the people who don't even know what's happening. Exactly. And I think like the people who were actually at the vigil, so like I was there too when we were running in and hiding in the, like waiting in the ugly for any news. And when they told us, when someone said like, he's coming to the ugly, like I remember like all of us just running down to the, first floor and not knowing if we should leave or we should hide because if we leave he could be out there if we hide he could just come find us and I think that moment was like that moment was just huge and also telling for the university and their preparedness about this like no one knew what to do and we should know what to do wherever we are no matter what and no matter like what time it is we should know we should have a plan that the university like gives us to keep us safe and it's I think that's on the university to get to us as soon as possible. And we still don't have that. Um, So I have a kind of segue question for all of you guys. So you've mentioned here and there and, you know, throughout this entire thing that you deal with the reality of fear um, most of your lives uh, as visibly Muslim, as as a woman of color, um, just... It, it happens every day for you guys. And so how do you guys not internalize that fear and attach it to your identity? And how do you, com- like, how do you compartmentalize the fear of being who you are, but also the celebration of your religious affinity and like your beliefs? Like, what, what does that look like for you? How do you find the, like, the pride in it um, on top of the fear? I think for me it's it's kind of unfortunate, but I only I feel like I can I can only fully take pride in it when I'm with my own community and in spaces outside of that I I always feel that these like negative connotations are attached to me um, when like white students speak to me or they find out what I am there there is like a disconnect there and I don't think um, in those spaces I feel comfortable or I feel. I feel proud of who I am. It's not that I'm not proud, but I don't feel like I can embrace it. And I don't think, I don't, I don't feel like it's accepted. Um, so your question had two parts, I believe. Yeah. So how I don't internalize that fear, um, is through community. I feel like here on campus as well, we just have a very strong community and I'm lucky to have friends who are not Muslim that I can always fall back on and that are always he- there to like listen to me like rant about 
everything and anything. Um, but I take a lot of pride in like where I come from because I was not raised in the United States. I was raised in Pakistan and over there, like I got so much sense of culture and identity that when I did come back here like four years ago, I felt the need to let everybody know like who I am, not necessarily who my community is because I can't speak on their part, but who I am and why I'm here and what I intend to do with my career career and how I intend to go back. But um, I always look at praying as a form of healing um, because it is for me and I'm sure it is for many of us. And I feel like that really gets me going. And I feel like when the attacks happened the other day in New Zealand, I felt the need to heal and I felt the need to mourn. And I am literally like I work on campaigns and I organize and I try to get my community together. So we were actually on a call the morning that the morning after it happened um, with Southpaw, which is Abdul Sayed's nonprofit organization. And we were talking about how this is not a time to mourn. This is a time to organize. And in any other situation, I would be ready. Like whenever an event like this happens, an event of injustice, I'm the first one to organize. I'm the first one to collect people, protest, write, whatever it is. But in that moment, I felt the need to mourn more than to organize because you can be unapologetically Muslim, you can be unapologetically Christian or anything, but when something like this happens, you need time to heal and you need time to mourn. And it's important to take action, but it's also important to take care of yourself and otherwise you won't be able to take care of others in your community. Yesterday when we were in the library, um, one of the women who was speaking at the vigil uh, ended up like getting up and telling everybody like, hey, we're going to pray. Whoever wants to pray with us, like you're welcome to. And um, they took a minute for like everybody to go wash up. And then they they stood there and they prayed like amidst all of this that was happening, you know, thinking there was an attack on our identity as Muslims. Like people stood up and they stood together and they prayed. And I think that just shows like so much strength and so much faith um, in that moment. Um, and and myself, like when I went home that night, I was like, I just need like I just need some time I just need tonight to just like be with myself and to just like pray and and like pray thanking God that nothing happened and like pray that nothing like this ever happens again um and kind of answering your question about how do you like display that pride and that like strengthen your identity like even though there's so much fear I'm a pretty spiritual person I think and so I believe that like when my time comes my time comes and if it's written for me I can't escape it and so um I would rather just like like take precaution obviously but I'd rather just like live comfortably and and pridefully and not like shy away and hide until my time comes you know what I mean like I feel like that doesn't really accomplish anything I mean everybody deals with with things differently and I completely understand the fear and I feel it myself too and sometimes I don't want to be visibly Muslim and I don't want to like show my pride um but I just think that living in fear um completely like takes away the point of living and the point of like being proud of who you are um, even th- even if it takes some time to like get back to that and to heal from that to kind of conclude everything i'm going to read our last statement which is to the muslim community we want to recognize that this experience is most traumatic for people in the muslim community 
We are standing in solidarity with the community as we fight Islamophobia. The atmosphere at the vigil for the victims from the Christchurch shooting was already tense in preparation for a possible discourse. The Muslim community does not deserve this additional stress and recurrent vigilance to simply exist. If you need to express your feelings at this time and would like a space to do so, Michigan in Color is always available for you. And we also urge you to prioritize your mental health at this time and reach out to necessary resources. And once again, thank you all so much for opening up and being so brave about this and being who you are. This week, our creative of color is Yuna. She is a Malaysian Muslim feminist icon and law school graduate. You should go check out her album from 2011 called Decorate, and um, you'll be hearing her song, Deeper Conversation. We would like to extend a special thank you to our guest speakers for their bravery and vulnerability. We're planning to host a second follow-up episode later in the semester it's to further reflect on these events. Color. So feel free to reach out to us if you'd like to come and talk with us for that episode. Please take the time and resources you need to take care of yourself and your loved ones during this breach of humanity. In solidarity. In solidarity. In solidarity. In solidarity. In solidarity. Pass the mic.